0: Now we're going to read together from the scriptures. I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Romans. We're turning to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read at verse 28. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, let's hear the word of the Lord, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If, if God be before us, who can be against us? Shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know the Lord will bless to us this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. And it asks the questions Who is he? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And my theme today is entitled Heaven's Answer to Hell's Accusation. Now I have borrowed this title from the Reverend Patrick Baker and I of course have made up my own message As I often and always do In Romans 8 the Apostle Paul is dealing with the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints Or the eternal security of the saints In Romans 8 and 1 he says There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit And what follows is a lengthy discourse to ensure and encourage God's people about their spiritual and eternal preservation. In other words, that because they're in Christ, it is well with their soul. And this, of course, is despite everything that the world and the flesh and the devil drags up against them. And even when God's people in Christ are having a bad day, Listen to the words of Romans eight twenty eight, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And when you're having a bad day and you're really worried and troubled, remember that God is in absolute sovereign control. That he's on the throne of the universe. That the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And that God out of his power is working all things together, even the bad things that happen for the good and benefit of his people, even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand it, even when we can't feel it. The Apostle Paul goes on to teach that every one whom God has wonderfully chosen in Christ from uh, all eternity, that he has called that individual in time to repent and believe the gospel, that he legally justifies uh, and legally declares that individual in Christ righteous in his sight, and for that individual whom he has chosen and called and justified, he also glorifies it's not what he says in verse 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of a son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified I I I want you to notice That there's an unbreakable connection Between the justification of the sinner in Christ And his glorification Notice the word It's glorified It's in the past tense It's as if the believer is already In a state of glorification He or she is already there In the heart and mind of God And an assurance that they will be there In the end That that not one of those in Christ will ever be lost. Why not? Well, listen to what he says. If God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a tremendous encouragement? Fill your mind with that thought, thinking this, that the living and the true God is for me in Christ. That I am his in Christ and that God is only and always for his people. Now then we come to verses 33 and 34. Who shall lay any charge to the who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And as I thought of this text of Scripture and thought of this title, I was originally thinking of uh, God's answer to every accusation, and then I came across this title of the Reverend Baker's, and I thought it was better Heaven's answer to Hell's accusation. And as I thought of this text, I saw three things here. Notice the charge that is declared. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 34 Who is he that condemneth? These are rhetorical questions Now think of God's elect in Christ Being charged with something Now these charges of course bring us to the courtroom of heaven These are real charges These are legal charges. These are charges that can be substantiated in light of the law of God. Let's remember what sin is sin is the transgression of the law. The law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, remember, are the very expression of the nature and character of God. The law of sinless perfection. And in light of that law, Every one of us stands rightfully condemned at the bar of justice. Remember, we stand before God as guilty sinners. We stand before God as polluted sinners. We stand before God as those who deserve to be condemned. We stand before God as those who cannot protest our innocence. We stand before God as those who have no excuse We're legally guilty. We stand before God as lawbreakers, welfare and deliberate acts of disobedience against the law of God. And therefore we stand before God Deserving and worthy of hell and judgment And if God was to make that rightful sentence Depart from me ye iniquity Into everlasting fire Prepared for the devil and his angels Then God would be just and holy and true In declaring that sentence Remember this is the court of heaven And you're familiar perhaps With an earthly court Think today of someone being accused of something by the police. And it gets into the press. And they make some spectacular or some speculative charge. You see, that's called the United States of America in legal terms an indictment. Somebody has been indicted. What does that mean? Well, it means they have been charged with something. They have been accused of breaking the law in some way. And the question is, that the judge then has to figure out in his head, is the indictment true? Is the charge true? Is the accused legally guilty? And it's up for him to decide then as the case continues. But I was thinking of this word charge. You see, a charge presupposes an accuser who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. Did this not happen to the apostle Paul? In Acts chapter 23 verse 29 certain men laid accusations against Paul. He's broken the law so Paul was arrested. Paul was being tried in a court of law and there was people there that stood up and accused him falsely of things and he was very happy to answer The accusation for himself So you've got to think of an accused person And they're in a courtroom scene And in that scene an accusation has been made against them The, The prosecution lays the charge on behalf of another So we're going to ask the question If this charge presupposes an accuser Who is the individual that lays the charge against God's elect? Think of the question now Remember it's rhetorical He doesn't answer it Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well I've got an answer this morning The devil The devil is the accuser of the brethren Now turn over there to the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 12 And it says in verse 10 I want you to underline these words in your Bible and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Listen to these words. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them, day, or which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Notice the words here. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. And who is the accuser of the brethren? Well, in the context in verse 9 of Revelation 12, it's the devil, Satan, that old serpent that deceiveth the whole world. You see, one of the devil's activities is to come before God And level a charge against every true born-again believer. And we're not going to turn to it this morning for the sake of time. But if you read Job chapter 1, 2, and 3, that was the kind of activity that was going on in heaven. Job didn't know about it. And the devil was coming before God when the angels came to present themselves. And he made an accusation against Job. The first one was, does Job serve God for nothing? You see, one of Satan's devices is to make you feel worthless. He drags up the guilt of your past. He, through his activity, wants to plunge you into the depth of despair. He whispers into your ear, you're a hypocrite. He tells you, you've done this and that. He tells you, you have no right to say that you belong to Christ. He wants to rob you of peace and lack of assurance of heaven. He he wants to rob you of joy in the Lord. And notice he does it before God and he does it day and night. And the whole purpose of it is to draw your mind and heart away from Christ. And this is the devil laying the accusation. And he does it as I've said before God. And he does it with the view of striking at our union with Christ. So much so we're robbed of joy and peace and assurance. We're full of fear and apprehension and worry. We're plunged into the depth of despair. And how many Christians today are in the depths of despair and they're really worried about everything that's going on? And who's at the back of that, robbing them of joy and peace and assurance, is none other than the devil. And even though he can strike at our union with Christ, he cannot sever that union. Think of this question. Who shall lay any thing to the charge of God's elect, the devil can accuse you truthfully. you don't love God as you ought. You're full of a spirit of unbelief. you've neglected the means of grace. You haven't attended the prayer meeting. you're not reading your Bible. you're guilty of this sin or that sin secretly. And you know what I've discovered? That there's many of God's people engaging, not only in open sin, but in, but in secret sin. And I have known Christian men at home and in church, they're like a saint. But in home, they live like a devil. And they're beating up their wives. And that's wrong. And, and some are secretly getting drunk. And, and, and others are, 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 are looking at things on the TV And the internet to do with pornography And, 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 and they're, they're, they're living lives where, 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 where they're cursing and swearing so, so when the devil accuses men He can do it truthfully See David knew about his secret sins God saw them And I have no doubt that the devil Dragged them up against him And remember, David was a true believer. He was a saved man. He was one of God's chosen from all eternity. Chosen in Christ, we believe, before the foundation of the world. And in time, he was called to repent and believe the gospel. The voice of the Lord came and reached out to him and, and called him unto himself and said to David, Thou art mine, you belong to me. David was in union with Christ. And all because of that union, the devil hated David. And the devil hates you this morning because he hates Christ. And he's opposed to Christ and all that's in Christ. And therefore he's opposed to you because you're in Christ. Oh, you've got understand that this morning. This is the activity of the devil laying the accusation because the devil is opposed to you and every true believer in Christ. Because you're in a vital, saving, wonderful union with the Saviour. And he'll accuse you in your lowest moments When you're vulnerable In a state of defeat and despair He'll even accuse you in your holiest moment When you're engaged in activity Turn over there to um, Zechariah if you can Zechariah chapter 3 It says in the first three verses And he showed me Joshua the high priest Standing before the angel of the Lord And Satan standing at his right hand To resist him and the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that have chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the burning? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now I want you to get the picture. Here's Joshua the high priest. And he's the high priest before the Lord. And he's standing there as a brand plucked from the burning. And he's standing there with filthy garments. And even though he's before the Lord, in this position of honor and service and duty and worship, he's standing there with iniquity that was upon him. And who's at his right hand to resist him? The devil. You see, this was a holy moment for Joshua. He was coming to the Lord for cleansing. He's approaching the Lord. There's the holy activity. He's coming for worship and service and cleansing. And he's got this adversary. The devil's at his right hand to oppose him. Because that's how the devil works. And I believe that's what the devil is doing with us today. Every believer in Christ. He rakes up their past sins before they're converted. He rakes up their present sins. He rakes up particular sins, presumptuous sins, secret sins, Open sins and he makes this Accusation personally You know the devil could even Use other people think of those At school young people You do something bad Then somebody says well you call yourself A Christian They brand you as a hypocrite Think of the pull and the lure of the world Think of the spirit of worldliness That's in the hearts and minds of many Of us as God's people Think of inward remaining sin and sometimes when we do sin we we say to ourselves well how could I call myself a Christian how could I be a Christian and say this do this think this how could I even pray to him I I have known men who have neglected their family altar for a time they've neglected prayer the reading of the Bible uh, talking about the Lord they haven't done it for a period there's stress and strain on their human relationships in the context of the family. Maybe there's been a breakdown in communication and fellowship. Maybe there's been a fallout of love with each other. And, and, and all of that that's said and thought and done is being raked up by the devil. Whenever you would then come to the Lord and, and want to offer prayer and want to get right with the Lord. He even pities believer against believer. You see, this activity is going on. And, 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 and it, it happens at a f- personal level. It, it happens in, in, in families. It, it, it's happening in society. Remember, none of us are sinlessly perfect. There's no such thing as a, a perfect church. You'll never find it. And we can look within and we'll get despair. We can look into the church and you're going to get despair. We, we, we can look at the lives of each other. And we, we get into a state of despair. I believe this morning Here's the charge that is delivered It presupposes an accuser Who comes with an accusation And he uses all sorts of methods To rob us of everything that we have in Christ That's the first thing The second thing is this The clearance that is delivered Not only the charge that is declared But the clearance that is delivered Notice what he says in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. There's the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? Now notice this. Here's his defense. It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. And this clearance that delivered, this clearance is really a fivefold de- clearance. It has to do with the great doctrine of justification. And then in verse 34, Paul adds a further fourfold basis on which all charges against us in Christ are dropped because the charge is acquitted. The charge against us is cleared. And on what basis is it cleared? Do you think of somebody being indicted in the United States of America? It comes to the judge. There's a trial. And then the judge then has to pronounce all charges are dropped. And on what basis? That's the question. But what basis is it for the Christian? Notice very quickly here. The, the propitiation of Christ. It says, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Do you see that, young people? The death of Jesus Christ, remember, lies at the heart of the gospel. And that brings us to the great doctrine of redemption. There's no pardon or peace without a blood sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, is no remission. You think of the Lord Jesus dying in the tree at Calvary. His his physical sufferings, his mental suffering, his spiritual sufferings. Remember what Isaiah the prophet was able to say 700 years before the Lord Jesus uh, ever had come into the world. And he tells us there in that great chapter, Isaiah 53. I trust you're familiar with it. I would encourage you to read it. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And remember, as you think of Christ dying, he was dying there as a substitute. He took your place and mine. He was dying there as a sin bearer because he was made sin for us. He was reckoned to be the biggest sinner in the world. He was dying there as a sacrifice for sin, uh, liable for all the punishment and the wrath of God to be heaped upon him. He was the perfect sin offering, all to become our saviour. Over there in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, we read this tremendous statement in verse um, 26 and verse 27. It says, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin. That's what he was doing by the sacrifice of himself. Think of that. That's what he was doing in the tree. He was putting away sin when he became our substitute, our sin bearer, our surety, our our sacrifice, our sin offering. The the guilt and punishment of our sin was transferred to him. Remember, he's called the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's an all-glorious, wonderful redeemer who was delivered up for our offenses. And what does Paul do? When he asked the question, who is he that condemneth? Here's his first part of the answer. It is Christ today. He points to the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Delivered up to the wrath of God. Delivered up to death, a blood sacrifice. Delivered up to suffering and shame. Delivered up to endure that wrath. Delivered up to having our sins transferred and laid in him. And do you know what? All our sins were laid in Christ. And the hymn writer says, we're going to sing it at the end if have time. What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. Listen, Jehovah findeth none. Why? Because it was dealt with in Christ. Our sins with its guilt and its shame was punished in Christ. Sin is put away in Christ. And we have a full and free and forever pardon. So, so when you're feeling accused. And you you feel, I'm condemned. Then look to Christ and say, well, my sins are gone. They're under the blood. Christ, my substitute, my surety, my sin bearer, my sacrifice, my sin offering, my Savior. Can you say that this morning? Not only the propitiation of Christ, but if you look at the text again very quickly, it mentions the power of Christ, yea, rather that is risen again. You see, we believe in this church in the vicarious death of Christ on the tree. But we also believe in the victorious life of Christ. He is risen. We believe in the resurrection, the bodily, tangible resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's true that he died on the tree. It's true that he was put into the tomb. But he didn't stay in that state death could not hold him as the hymn writer says up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes he arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign and the bible teaches that the whole of the trinity was involved in the resurrection god the father god the son himself and god the holy spirit and i could have a time this morning open up the scriptures and show you that truth That that this victorious life of Christ, this resurrection from the dead, that the whole of the Trinity was involved. And do you know how I know? God the Father approved and accepted the sacrifice of Christ for sin. Accepted that the work was finished. That the Father was well pleased with that. Because the Father raised him from the dead. He was perfectly satisfied. Perpetually satisfied. You see, the Bible teaches That we're accepted in the beloved. And and the death of Christ is the ground of our peace and pardon and assurance. We can have a life of power and victory. We're to glory not only in the cross but we can glory in the power of his resurrection. Because we have a living saviour. And and let's see him this morning risen. Yea rather that is risen again. Now notice also then the position of Christ, who is even at the right hand of God. You see, when the Lord Jesus died and rose again bodily from the dead, we're going to ask the question, Well, where is he? And here's the answer. He's at the right hand of God. There was a day when he ascended back to his heavenly father. He entered into the presence of God as a a true man, as the mediator of the new covenant. And he's there in God's presence for us. The Bible says the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, we read, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, he's there in our behalf. He's representing us. He's not against us. He's for us. Now that's a tremendous truth. How could the devil ever lay a successful charge against someone in Christ? It's absurd. It's impossible. Even though the devil's a murderer from the beginning And a thief and a liar The devil can't tear Christ from his throne And he can't tear us from Christ Because we're in an unbreakable relationship And he can fire his charge We can lose much Sleepless nights Lack of peace Wondering, if I, am I a Christian? Could I really be saved? I couldn't be saved Young people Could I encourage you to plead the blood? Maybe the devil rakes up your sins against you. Those secret sins. Those presumptuous sins. Those open sins. And says to you, how could you be a Christian? Remember he did the same with Martin Luther in his dream. Are these your sins, Martin? Yes. And Martin took the scroll from his hand and wrote over them, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin." And while the devil can rake up an accusation and lay a charge against you, even if it's true, you did this. That's correct. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's Christ that died. Christ is risen. Christ is at the right hand of God, and he's there for us. Now, notice this as we come to a conclusion. Look again at the text. Here's encouragement. He also maketh intercession for us. Here's the clearance that's being delivered. Not only are we justified, legally declared righteous, but it's on the ground that Christ died, risen at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Do you know this morning, get a little glimpse to the throne, Christ is praying for you in heaven. And if you take nothing home from the service, you're here discouraged, worried, sick about things, just remember Christ is praying for you as an individual. And And that prayer of Christ is vocal It's vicarious, it's in the merit of the blood Christ is pleading his obedience, not yours He's the righteous advocate And his prayers are victorious Because God hears and answers those prayers Remember what we read in John's gospel In 1 John chapter 2 My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not But if any man sin Maybe you're here and you've sinned against God You're worried and troubled, it's a secret sin We have an advocate with the Father. You're in Christ. And Jesus Christ the righteous is praying for you. You see, we have a perfect redeemer. He's not only our Lord and the shepherd and bishop of our soul, but he's our intercessor. And in Christ we're saved. In Christ we stand. In Christ we're seated. In Christ we're sealed. And I could tell you this, the devil has no answer to the death and resurrection or the possession or the prayers of Christ. The devil's a defeated foe. And remember, our security is in Christ. We have an infallible argument of defense. I'm justified. Christ has died, risen at the right hand of God. He's praying for me. Don't look into your heart. You'll be plunged into despair. Don't look into the heart of another Christian. And judge your brother and see what he or she's doing and think, aye, some Christian they are. But look to Christ. Because the devil has no answer to Christ. He has no answer to the blood. And it's my prayer that you young people in this church this morning would would learn to understand the gospel. The gospel's not just about asking Jesus into your heart. It's not just about Jesus dying on the cross. This is all connected. The incarnation, the sinless life, the atoning death, the bodily resurrection, the life of intercession and, and, and praying of Christ is all part and parcel of the gospel. And there's the clearance that is delivered Notice this in finishing The chosen that is defined If you go back to the text What does it say Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect It is God that justifieth Think of those words God's elect Now that's a big subject It's a sermon all in itself But I just want to tell you this That that word elect means Chosen, so don't, don't don't be confused. The Bible speaks of an election of grace, an election of grace that's of God, not of man. We are chosen by the sovereign choice of God. We didn't choose ourselves. We're not chosen by the church. We're not, we're not chosen because of anything in or of us. We're chosen. The Bible says in Christ. From before the foundation of the world. And the proof that we're chosen is that God calls to us to repent and believe the gospel. And that's the worldwide call of the gospel. It goes to every man, all men. But you know what? Jesus said this, and I finish My sheep hear my voice. That's how you know that you're chosen. I remember being bothered with this as a young Christian. And a man said to me, David, think of an arch. And there's two sides to an arch. And in on one side, it's whosoever will, let him come, take the water of the life freely. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh, I will nowise no ways cast out. So if you want to get saved, you want to come to Christ, you, you, you go right in. And then when I got to the other side and looked up, Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that's a great truth to fill your mind with. God's elect. God's chosen. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And because I I, I was chosen, I was called to repent and believe the gospel. And then I come to Christ as I was because I wanted to be saved. And then I realized that I was chosen. Don't don't be bothered too, too much with whether you're chosen or not. Ask yourself, have I been called to repent and believe? Have I come to Christ? Have I received him as a sinner by faith? Have I been legally declared righteous in his sight? The chosen is defined. It's a wonderful message. It's a message in itself. But I'm only going to leave that thought with you. There is an election of grace. I believe that. But the proof that those are elect. As they're called and they come in simple faith to Christ. So you asked yourself, have I been called? Have I come to faith in Christ? May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming.